You may ask, okay, let's assume a person speaks Russian horror. Then all of a sudden he invokes the court proceedings against them, right? Because of Mida Keneged Mida. In other words, you invoke court proceedings not because of the sin of Russian horror. Again, just like the strategy of how you defend yourself is not because of the merit, for instance, of c- compassion. It's the incredible principle of Mida Keneged Mida. The same idea with Russian horror. The reason why you invoke judgment isn't because of the sin of Russian horror. It's because of the same idea. You badmouth somebody else, then immediately he badmouths you. He has permission to do that when you speak Russian horror. This is what we see. And it's very important to understand. You must distinguish between the sin of Russian horror and the consequences of Russian horror, which are far worse than the sin itself. A very important idea. Now, who does, who does the Makatreg, um, the Sutton, have permission to haul into court? Okay. Three people. The Masapir, the one who talks Lashon Hara, because you talk Lashon Hara, therefore the Sutton can talk Lashon Hara about you, prosecute you. The Shemea, the one who is receiving the Lashon Hara, since you are listening to Lashon Hara, the God says, I will listen to the Lashon Hara of the Sutton. And now these two people are understandable. But even the subject is holding the court. The person that you are speaking about he also gets slept into court. Now, you'll ask me why. I can understand the one who sends the message, who speaks Lashon Hara, because he's speaking Lashon Hara. And even the one who, who hears Lashon Hara because he is listening, so therefore they listen to the Lashon Hara of the Sultan about him. But what is the guy you're talking about? Why should he get slept into court? And the answer to that is the reason why he gets dragged into court is because of another fundamental area called Ayin Hara, the evil eye. Now, the Ayin Hara is not just a religious term. It's not just an interesting or cute idea. It's not voodoo. What is an Ayin Hara? God gave the ability of one Jew to drag another Jew into court. Every Jew has such an awesome uh, connection to all the worlds above him. That if he wants, he can drag himself into court, as we see, by Lashon Hara. And he can drag other Jews into court also. Why? Because every Jew is responsible for another Jew. Each Jew is responsible for another Jew. We are all interconnected, even though we don't see the connection. In other words, <clears throat> when one Jew says to another Jew, You know, where did he get this new car? A $25,000 car. Where do you get this, this kind of money? So the other guy says, the other guy says, you know where you get this kind of money? He's a thief. You know, he's a gunner. He's a thief. This car is probably from all the, all the robbery that he committed against the other guys. <clears throat> now that's pure Lashon Hara. Okay. Now the one who said the Lashon Hara, he gets called in the court. The guy who listened to the Lashon Hara, he gets called in the court. And the guy who bought the car, the guy they talked about, the subject, he gets called in the court because of the Iron Hara. Because if a Jew looks at you and is jealous of what you have, in effect what he's saying, you don't deserve this, why should you have it? Then he has the ability to ma'ur the din, to invoke justice against you. And then you get called into court. Forget about Lashon Hara. If a Jew is jealous of you, and he gives you what's called an iron Hara, he has the ability to call you into court where you are judged. Now, if that person was able to get the money to buy the car because God was kind to him and he gave money even though that person didn't deserve it, 
what happens is now that once he gets called to the court, if he doesn't have merits to keep that car, he will lose it. In other words, if he's got the schusen to hold on to what he's got, he will not lose it. And the other person's statement will have no effect. But however, if he does not have the merit to earn that thing, he will lose those things. In other words, the other person, when somebody gives you an evil eye, it doesn't mean that he can damage you. He can't. But he can invoke the just judgment against you. And if you don't have schusim or merits, you will lose what he is after. So in that way, he can tremendously damage you. By reveal, or by calling you into court, that's how he damages you. But of course, you've got to win the case by your own merits. That is called ayin her. And that's why the Chazal say, what things are successful? Those things which are hidden from the eye. Chazal say that. In other words, if you want to engage in an enterprise, anything, and you, don't want, you want to make sure you're not going to lose it, don't tell people about it. Not because they won't speak Lashon Hara. Because as soon as they look at you and jealousy begins to um, arise, you automatically get called into court. Now, one of the greatest ways that a person gives another person Ayin Hara is through Lashon Hara. When a person says Lashon Hara about you, what he's really saying, giving you is an Ayin Hara. He's saying, did you, did you hear what happened to this guy? What he's really saying is, what does this guy deserve what he's getting? Lashon Hara is one of the most frequent instruments used for another concept called Ayin Hara. That is why the subject gets dragged into court. So the Masapa, the one who talks Lashonara, gets grabbed in the court because Lashonara, Mida connected Mida, measure for measure. The one who listens to Lashonara gets dragged in the court, the kitrid is invoked against him because he listened to Lashonara. But the subject of the report, the one you spoke about, gets dragged in the court because the Lashonara itself is an instrument for eye and horror. Now, how does one protect themselves? And the answer is simple. If you do not speak Lashonara, then the Satan cannot nekatrig against you. He is powerless to do anything against you. Because God says, He doesn't badmouth or speak derogatory about others. He does not cause damage to others. You cannot prosecute Him and cause damage to Him. He does not listen to Lashon Hara. Therefore, I will not listen to prosecution against Him. Now, what happens if two people speak Lashon Hara about you? Then God says, I refuse to hear Lashonara about him, this person who is the subject of those two people's conversation, because he, since he does not speak Lashonara, you cannot speak Lashonara about him. You see? If you want to protect yourself from an Ayin Hara, don't speak Lashonara. Because that also protects you. Just like if you don't speak or listen to Lashonara, you never get called into court. The same way other people can never call you in court for the same reason. Don't speak Lashon Hara and don't listen to Lashon Hara. Therefore, God will not listen to the Lashon Hara or the prosecutory attempt of the Sutton, nor can the Sutton prosecute you. That's how you protect yourself. What do we begin to see? That Shmir's Halashin, to guard your tongue or not to speak Lashon Hara, denies access to the Kitrug itself. And therefore, it is the greatest strategy next to not sinning and doing repentance known to man. Because the chesed that God did is that you, must, you are responsible for the very trial proceedings against you. 
If you are called into court, if you are put on the court calendar, it is your fault. Nobody else's. This is what we see. Now, you may ask yourself a question. Well, what happens? You mean to tell me if somebody does not speak Lashon Hara, he will never go to trial? Could you imagine a guy never speaks Lashon Hara? Does that mean he will never called up, be called up in Bezin? Does that mean he'll go scot-free? How can that be? You, could, you just got finished saying that God is not a vatron. God cannot forgo sins. So if, could you imagine this guy's got a million sins to his name? You're going to tell me that because he never spoke Lashon Hara, right? And therefore there's no kitrug against him. He is not going to get tried? We know that God is not a vatron. And the answer is the following. There are two ways that justice is done. In other words, there is a difference between the concept of justice, mishpat, and the concept of din. Mishpat is really judgment, and din is, judge, is justice. There are, two, there are two different ideas. They are not the same. If you want to make sure that your sins will be atoned for through Bezdin, then speak Lashon Hara. But the problem is that when they get a hold of you, it's bad news. Because if you don't have merits, then they must follow the judicial proceedings, the rules and regulations. And if you deserve a punishment, they will give it to you. But if you get judged by God, let's say you never get called to court because you don't speak Lashon Hara or hear Lashon Hara. What does that mean? That means you never get called to court. Then, then how are you going to atone for your sins? God is not going to overlook them. And the answer is simple. Of course God is going to bring punishment on you. But since God does not look at these punishments in a courtroom, He can judge them by Himself without being subjected to the rules and regulations of court. So He can do whatever He wants, even though you have no merit whatsoever. He can judge you based on His kindness. He doesn't have to submit to court. In other words, if you speak Lashon Hara and, the court, and you invoke the Kitrug, and therefore you are judged regarding your sins, then God himself must submit to the judicial rules and regulations because that is what he decreed. That if there is a trial, this is what happens. And if you're not Merachim, then they're not Merachim with you. And so on. You've got to have merits. Therefore God must follow the system. He voluntarily subjected himself to the system of justice, of trial. But if you don't get called to trial, then God can deal with you in what's called Hanogat HaYichud, in other words, the fact that He can deal with you the way He wants to deal with you. Then it doesn't make a difference to you if you have no merit. He can do whatever He wants. In the end, you will be atoned, but then He can spread it out over years. He can damage some of your property, not damage your body, and so on. He can do whatever He wants because He doesn't have to answer to a prosecutor Staying in front, standing in front of him, saying that this man deserves so-and-so. So if you want to submit to trial by court, speak Lashon Hara. And then you better hope you have merits. Or the Mida Kineged Mida kind of uh, characteristic traits. If you want to submit, not to the trial, but to the judge, to meet with him in private, so then he can do whatever he does, he doesn't have to entertain the system itself, then what you have to make sure is don't speak Lashon Hara. Then of course God will judge you because you cannot earn Olam Haba without doing something to your sins. But it's a whole different treatment. The treatment is gentle. 
God deals with it in a much more kind way. He spreads it over. He waits. He sends you a little punishment and you, a little yisur and suffering and all of a sudden you get the message and you do tshuva, therefore he never has to send you the rest. He deals with you as a judge, not as a judge in trial. That is the enormous difference. Therefore, what do we see? That it's up to you. That mishpat means you get judged by trial. Din means you get judged by God. Without having to take in consideration the rules and regulations of court. And it's up to you. If you go through trial, then you better hope that you have merits or schusim. Because that's what you have to have when you are in a court session. That is what you have to have when you are being judged. And when there's a prosecutor, a sultan being makatri. If, however, <coughs> you are being judged by God, and God does not have to answer to a prosecutor because you have never spoken Rosh Hashanah, you have guarded your tongue, then he can deal with, with you however he wants. This is what we begin to see. <coughs> what do we see so far? An incredible idea that when a Jew speaks Rosh Hashanah, he drags himself, the one who listens, and the one they speak about into court. Do you wonder why Jews are having so many problems today? <clears throat> Could you imagine, <clears throat> would you call up the, the, the DA, the district attorney, and say, by the way, I just stole from this man's store. Will you come and get me? That's exactly what you do when you speak Lashonara. What you are doing is like making a private meeting with the Makatrig, the Sultan, and saying, by the way, would you like to prosecute me on the following record I have? That's exactly what you're doing. That's suicide. What man in his right mind would do that? It's like washing your dirty laundry in public. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to disclose or display all your sins before the prosecutor himself? It's like meeting with the DA and saying, by the way, have a field day on me. What you are doing is you are informing the sudden of all your chatoim. That's suicide. What else can I call it? <clears throat> Could you imagine when Jews speak Lashonara against each other? Every Jew is dragging every other Jew into court. Could you imagine Jews are talking Lashonara? And during the day, <clears throat> one guy on the phone has bad mouth, at least 15 people, has dragged... Not only, he's dragged himself, all the 15 and all the people they've spoken about. One guy can initiate court proceedings against 100 people in one day. Could you imagine that's one Jew? Multiply that by all the Jews speaking of Shinhara. Is it any wonder what's happening? It comes out that Jews are all day in court. That's what's happening. Every Jew is every day in court. Could you imagine spending the rest of your life in court every single day? You would... Clearly you would commit suicide. You could never take that trauma. <clears throat> Imagine what it is to be on trial every day of your life. <laughs> it's, it's horrendous. But that's what's happening. When a Jew speaks Lashonara, since the only way he can makatrig against you is through Lashonara, that's exactly what you're doing. You are informing Masira on yourself, on the subject, and also... <clears throat> On, uh, on, on the Shemaya, the recipient. And you do it hundreds of times a day. And there are millions of Jews who do this. Can you imagine what's happening to Israel? In other words, it is the Lush and Hor that Jews speak that forces the judgment, the ju mishpot against Jews. That is why there is so much sorrow on you. That is why you find so many people dying young, why you find people 
um, who have children who are either into drugs or into crime, why you find businesses are uh, uh, going down, uh, you know, uh, people having tremendous financial loss, why you have so many problems in families between parents and child, between why there are so many divorces. It's not because of the chet. It's the Russian horror. Why? Because, remember, you can have a million sins if he cannot access you to Russian horror. He has no access to mishpat, to judgment. Could you imagine never being called to trial? So what Russian horror does, it gives him permission to drag everybody into court and to reveal all, expose, expose all your sins in front of a jury, in front of a trial. That is why Jews have such enormous problems. That is what's happening to Judaism today. Very simple. Don't speak Russian horror and you will live a great life. Speak Russian horror and woe is you. Now, what I'd like to do, now that we understand this framework, let's go back to the Chazal. And you will see how every single Chazal, every single statement of the Gemara and the Medrash, or, or uh, Pasuk, that I said, makes incredibly beautiful sense. But you're not right now you understand the key. Let's take a look. First of all, do we understand now why there's 31 commandments associated with Lashon Hara? Of course. Because why does God hate somebody who speaks Lashon Hara? Not because of the sin of Lashon Hara. That's not what it is. It's because the sin of Lashon Hara opens up the door to the Satan to drag you, the recipient of the Lashon Hara, and the one you speak about. And it gives the Makatreg access to every sin that you have. That is why God hates it so much. That is why he enumerated 31 commandments directly or indirectly, indirectly uh, associated with Lush and Hara. That is why. Because it is not the fact that you damage somebody in this world. Because of the peculiarity of Mida Kenegid Mida, because the only way that Satan Kamakati is through Lush and Hara, that is why Lush and Hara takes on an enormous significance. Far more than the fact that Lush and Hara is merely a mazik or a, that you damage somebody when you speak Lashon Hara. That is why there are so many commandments that tell you, do not speak Lashon Hara. Makes perfect sense. Also, that is why somebody who speaks Lashon Hara lives a long time. Because why do Tsaras, why do people die? Because of Lashon Hara activates the just judgment against them. And therefore they are found guilty and they have tremendous suffering. And many times they must die because of the sins that they have. If a person doesn't speak Lashon Hara, he never gets called to trial. Therefore, he lives a long, long time. Not only he lives a long time, but he, is relative, he lives a relatively tranquil life. In other words, the connection between Lashon Hara and longevity is very simple. Don't speak Lashon Hara, don't get judged, and therefore never get punished. And if you do get punished, it's by God, not by the trial. And he deals with you in a totally different way. And that is why the Gemara says, the boy Chayam Belishnei, you want life? Don't speak Lashon Hara, because there's no kitrig against you. Only God will judge you, not the, not the uh, prosecutor, the Sultan. You want death? Speak Lashon Hara. Literally. You want death? In other words, if you want punishment and death, then speak Lashon Hara, because he, the Sultan, then has access to every chet that you do. We understand it very simple. And that is why it says that whoever does not speak Lashon Hara has no tsaras. That's what God says. 
if you do not speak Lashon Hara, God says, I can save you from every tzara. But if you open up your mouth and speak Lashon Hara, forget it. Why? Because if you don't speak Lashon Hara, then I can deal with you. It's between me and you. Not between me and you and the Satan. Therefore, I can save you from any, any tzara. And if I do bring something on you, it will be very gentle. But if you speak Lashon Hara, I cannot help you. Because I am forced to submit to the very system that I activated in creation, which is the system of justice that man must earn his ilm haba. Very simple. That is why. We also understand why a person, even if he worships idols, why he is not judged. Because as long as you do not speak Lashnara, the Satan cannot makatre. There's no kitrub. So what's the difference if you worship idols? Nobody falls. That is why in the generation of Ahov, nobody fell. Because the Sultan had no access to the Kitrug, even though they were full of Avadizah. Whereas in the generation of Shaul, since they spoke Lashon Hara, of course they had sins. And even though they were on such an enormous spiritual level, since he had access to their sins, therefore he could destroy them. And that is why they fell when they went to war. Now we understand also another Chazal. Why is it that the greatest sin is Lashon Hara? Again, not because of Lashon Hara. It's not the idea of Lashon Hara that is so severe. It is the fact that Lashon Hara allows the Kitrug, and therefore that allows the Satan to have access to all your sins and to all Israel's sins. That is why the greatest sin that you could do is Lashon Hara. Not because of Lashon Hara, because of the consequences of Lashon Hara. And also, that is why we understand why is Lashon Hara greater than Avodah Zorah, which is idol worship, Gilead Royas, which is, of course, a, a, a adultery, incest, or morality, or whatever, and Shvichas Damim, of course, which is murder. Again, Lashon Hara is not worse than them. Lashon Hara is only a mazik. But they only, what, what can these three sins do for you? They can serve as tremendous transgressions that if you get called to trial, they will stand against you. But as long as you don't speak Lashon Hara, they cannot touch you, those sins. Speak Lashon Hara and they can immediately uh, <coughs> uh, be used against you. That is why Lashon Hara is worse. Because that which gives the Sultan the access to Kitrit is much worse than the actual damage, the actual um, sin that you committed. Even if it be those kind of three sins. Again, we understand beautifully what Chazal are saying. And now we understand that why it says anybody who speaks Lashon Hara magnifies his sin up to heaven. Of course. Because Lashon Hara is not only a mazik. It's not only where you damage somebody here. What you do is you create enormous consequences, metaphysical consequences. Because you access, you allow the sudden access to Kitrib to prosecute you, of course, in Shemayim. And now we understand also Moshe Rabbeinu. What he asked is, I know that they are Ivar of Adizara. I know Jews worship idols, but that doesn't mean anything. That, is, that doesn't explain why they suffer so much. Because I know they don't speak Lashon Hara. But when he walked out among the Jews and he saw the Lashon Hara, that one Jew would, would, would say Lashon Hara, even if it would destroy Moshe Rabbeinu. Could you imagine a Jew informing the Pari? You know, when he, just, when, he, when he did that Jew a favor by killing the Egyptian? So then he said, Ochi noida hadova. Ochi noida hadova means this. The regular pshat meaning Ochi noida hadova is surely the thing will be known to Pharaoh. But the real meaning is Ochi noida hadova 
now the matter is known to me why they suffer so much because they speak Lashon Hara. That's the second meaning. But the true meaning is this. The fact that they worshipped idols would never be known to heaven. But since they speak Lashon Hara, now the matter of their serving idols is surely known. Not to Pharaoh, not to me, but is known to heaven, is known to the prosecutor. That's what Ochi Nida really means. Surely this idea or this sin of, of, of serving idols is known to Shemayim because they speak Russian Hara. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu really meant. And, and of course, it makes perfect sense in terms of all the ideas that we are discussing. And therefore we understand why the decree of the Jews was fulfilled only because of the last test, which is the Miraglim. Because as long as they didn't speak Lashon Hara, even if they failed nine times, they cannot be judged. As soon as they started speaking Lashon Hara, the Sultan had access to all the sins of Israel because all, all Israel listened to the Miraglim. They all Israel listened to the Miraglim. The Miraglim were the Masaprim. They said the Lashonara. They sent the Lashonara. And all Israel was a Shemim. That's why the, the incident of Miraglim, the spies, is so bad. But once they all listened to the Miraglim, that is why the decree, of course, was decided that they must all die. Now we fully understand why. And the uh, last Chazal I had brought, of course, is why was the temple destroyed? And the answer is obvious. The temple was destroyed even though they had such great spiritual heights. They reached great spiritual heights. It's because once they spoke Lashon Hara, the Lashon Hara revealed the sins to the Makatreg, and the Kifreg was great enough to destroy them. And there's a very interesting idea. There's a Chazal that says that why was, the, why was Jerusalem destroyed? Why was the temple destroyed? Because it says, He'emidu divreim al that the people in that generation was very exacting, that if you owed them something, they wanted it. They wouldn't overlook any injury or uh, any kind of uh, avlo, any kind of harm you did them. That's what it says. So we see an incredible thing. What revealed to the Satan their sins is because they spoke Lashon Hara. So they couldn't access the Kitrig aspect. The defensive strategy of Kitrig was neutralized because they spoke Lashon Hara. But maybe they can stop the destruction of the temple by overlooking the sins of others so God will overlook the sins of Jews. No. Since they did not marvel al since they held people exactly accountable for what they did to them, therefore God held them accountable. So they couldn't even interface with the strategy of making a motion for dismissal. So that's why there are two chazals that they couldn't intervene in the proceedings either way. They couldn't stop the Makati because they spoke Lashonara, and they couldn't make a motion for dismissal because they were rigid. If you did a wrong to me, I am going to go after you. Of course they went after the guy because the guy did a wrong to the guy. But since they did not marvel me Doisov, therefore they couldn't, they couldn't make a motion for dismissal. That's why there are two Chazals saying the same thing because there seems to be a contradiction. Why was the temple destroyed? Because they spoke Lashon Hara? Or because they exacted justice? What does one have to do with the other? Sounds like, which is it? This or this? But what, from what is being said, it's beautiful. Because there are eight ways to interface with that system. 
And the Chazal are merely pointing out the different ways. They spoke Lashon Hara, so they couldn't hide it from the Satan, and they couldn't dismiss the motion, they couldn't make a motion of dismissal, because they, they uh, called the person, they, they, they insisted on the letter of the law, therefore God, unfortunately, had to insist on the letter of the law, since they dragged God into court to judge them. And unfortunately, the enormous consequence was, uh, of course, the destruction of the temple. Now, if you think so far that what you have heard is incredible idea of the power of speech, this is the true power of speech, but if you think you know the full story of the true power of speech, you are making a mistake. I will tell you something else which is even greater than what I have told tonight. It's more mind-boggling. If you think the devastating consequences of Russian horror is what I said tonight, this is child's play compared to something else that I will tell you, which is awesome in its devastating consequences to Kaisal. And we will speak, speak about that shortly. So far, we have dealt with many <coughs> Chazals, many sayings of the Chazals, our rabbis, concerning Russian horror. And what we see so far is that according to our framework, we are actually able to answer these, uh, these uh, sayings of the Chazal. However, when we begin to look at the other sayings of Chazal, we begin to realize that the framework that we have is really insufficient to answer all the Chazals. In other words, what we begin to see is that we don't really understand the full repercussions of speaking Lashon Hara. There is an aspect to the dimension of Lashon Hara which we are lacking, we are ignorant of. It is that second dimension that we have to clarify in order to understand the other Chazals. And the truth is <coughs> that this second dimension, which we need in order to uh, satisfy our understanding of the other Chazals, that the truth of these ideas are so earth-shaking, so to speak, that it's very difficult to listen to and hear it and not walk away uh, you know, uh, very much impressed. Now, <coughs> in, in, in uh, the Shir, <coughs> there are many things that uh, occur in Hashkofa, many ideas in Hashkofa, which are esoteric. Esoteric means that many people do not know about these ideas. They are part of the secrets of the Torah. They are ideas which only people who are really learned spend many hours learning. Only these people really know these ideas. However, in order to stop Lashon Hara, in order to enable people to be shown with the Lashon, not to speak Lashon Hara, we must enter an area which in truth is esoteric. It's an area where most people have no, no knowledge of. <coughs> um, it's, it can be looked on almost as uh, um, some kind of a secret doctrine. However, <coughs> because the intent of the Shir is to get people not to speak Lashon Hara, Therefore, it is fully justified to talk about these areas. In fact, it's interesting to note that the way the Satan wins is because of our ignorance. He is able to do what he's able to do because we lack the understanding of what is really going on, how he really succeeds in doing what he wants to do. And the reason why he succeeds, of course, is we really don't understand what is happening. We don't understand the effect of our actions, the effect of our speech. 
And if we did understand the effect of our speech, we would immediately refrain from speaking Lashon Hara. Therefore, I'm going to go into certain areas, even though it's not known, but it is crucial to know it in order to stop speaking Lashon Hara. And that itself is full justification why we should endeavor to, uh, to uh, comprehend these areas. <coughs> Let us go back to the beginning of Bracious. <coughs> let's see, <coughs> actually, let us take a look and see what Chazals uh, that are uh, extant that we really cannot understand with the framework that we have so far. <coughs> There's a Chazal that says, Rains are withheld because of people who speak Lashon Hara. <coughs> now the question of course is, why are rains withheld? Now according to our previous framework, where we see that if somebody speaks Lashon Hara, it gives the Satan access to Kitrug, and it is his Kitrug, his prosecution, that is able to haul us into court, the divine court. That's what we saw from last week. But when we take a look at this Chazal, what does this Chazal have to do whether we get called into court or not? We understand so far that if we speak Lashon Hara, <clears throat> it gives the certain permission to makatreg, to prosecute, to alert the court to sit in judgment. What does this have to do with reins being withheld because we speak Lashon Hara? Obviously there's something that we're missing. Chazal understands something about Shemir Salashin or Lashon Hara that we do not understand at all. That is one Chazal. Another Chazal is very similar, where it says that Hamasap Lashon Hara Mismaatin. He who speaks Lashon Hara, his livelihood is diminished. Now that obviously is similar to the fact that rains are withheld, because rains, of course, is the uh, the uh, the uh, basis of all agriculture, which is of course the basis for our uh, eating supplies, our livelihood. Again, what does Lashonara have to do with the fact that livelihood is diminished? What does one have to do with the other? And when Chazal say something, they mean exactly what it says. They are, do not exaggerate. This isn't from a raid, as they call it. This isn't religious talk. When Chazal say that if you do A, B ensues, then B is a true result, a logical result of A. Therefore, we must understand why is it that rains are withheld, why is it that livelihood is diminished? <coughs> Another Chazal that says that those cut Mesapli Lashonara, those people who speak Lashonara, they will not be worthy of receiving the divine presence. They will not receive the Shechina. Why not? Again, we cannot answer this Chazal based on our free, free, uh, previous uh, framework. <coughs> Another similar Chazal is where it says, Kalamasap Lashonara, Omar HaKadosh Baruch Anybody who speaks Lashonara, God says, I and he cannot live in the same world. So therefore God exits. The same idea. <coughs> that we see <coughs> that in some way if you speak Lashonara, you affect the presence of the Shekhinah. You can actually diminish the presence of the Shekhinah. Again, how? We cannot understand it based on our free, previous framework. We see again, anybody speaks Lashon Hara, will actually succeed in removing the Shekhinah from below 
to, uh, to on high. Somebody speaks Lashon Hara actually pushes the Shekhinah out. And again, this is similar to the previous Chazal. And we, of course, do not understand what does the removal of the Shekhinah have to do with speaking Lashon Hara. This is what we have to answer. <coughs> Another Chazal, where it says, Oma HaKadosh Bohu, God said, In this world, because there is amongst you those who speak Lashonara, I have removed my Shekhinah. However, in the future world, when I will, of course, remove the Yetzirah, the evil inclination from amongst you, I will restore the divine presence amongst you. Again, a specific reference to one who speaks Lashonara, you remove the Shekhinah. And of course, what's the idea? Another idea, the famous statement, that the second Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because of the sin of Lashonara that was amongst them. <coughs> and we know the essence of the destruction of the second temple was that the Shekhinah the Divine Presence left. That's really what it means. We're not interested if a building was destroyed. <coughs> what is the essence of the destruction of the Second Temple, of course, is that the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, left it from, from amongst the midst of the Jews. Again, we see that he who speaks Lashonara somehow affects the removal of the Shekhinah. Another Chazal, that if somebody speaks Lashonara, it is Oile at Kisiyah the effects of speaking Lashonara, the ramifications, transcends the heavens until it reaches the Divine Throne. Now when you're talking about the effects of Lashonara reaching the Divine Throne, that means in some way the Divine Throne of God is affected. The seat where God sits, Kaviyocho, and of course God does not sit, but in some way the presence of God is enormously disturbed because your Lashonara actually touches or blemishes the Divine Throne. What does that mean? That's an incredible statement. How a sin of Lashonara, which is basically, conceptually, a mazik, that's all it is, <clears throat> can actually pregum, can create a defect in the Kisya Kovit, in the Divine Throne of God. That's incredible. Another statement. Anybody who speaks Lashonara is as if he denied the existence of God. That's an incredible statement. <clears throat> what does your speaking Lashonara have to do with denying or admitting the presence of God? Really? Of course, there are people who say, well, if you speak Lashonara, and you speak, most people who speak Lashonara say it in quiet, so they think nobody hears. And that's why they speak Lashonara. So it's as if they feel that God does not exist, because if they felt He would exist and be all over, they would not speak Lashonara. That is the simple meaning of that Chazal. But the truth is, there is an incredible profundity in that Chazal. That if you speak Lashonara, in reality, it's as if you really denied the presence of God. <clears throat> Not because your actions would indicate that, but the manifestations, the consequences of the sin of Lashonara is a denial of the presence of God. There's a much greater meaning than that. Also, <clears throat> there is a Vilna Goin who quotes a Medrash. That says, it's a, it's a famous grow, but I'll repeat it, because it really has to be understood. I'll call Rega Verega on every second, 
Odom Chuisen Piv, that a man shuts his mouth and does not speak Lashon Hara, Zicha, he merits Lior Hagonos to a, a concealed knowledge, which is so great, it is inconceivable to any angel that knowledge which will reveal to you as a result of speaking Lashon Hara. <coughs> That's what the girl says in the name of a Medrash. That for every second that you do not speak Lashon Hara, you will merit a comprehension of such a nature that the greatest Malachim, angels, can't even touch that comprehension. And the answer is, why? Why Lashon Hara? Why not just say every mitzvah you do, you will merit that kind of a perception? Why is it if you don't speak Lashon Hara, you will be privy to a knowledge which is so awesome that the greatest angelic beings can't even touch it? Incredible medrash. <clears throat> but it is something that we must seek to answer. And as we see, that these chazals are not understandable, they are not intelligible based on our previous framework. Because even if we understand that a person is called to Bezin as a result of his Lashon Hara, what does it have to do with the Shekhinah, to the Kisya Kavod, the Divine Throne, to his, the reward of the Or Hagonahs, a concealed knowledge? What does it have to do with all this? Therefore we come to the conclusion that there is an area of Lashon Hara which we must investigate, which we must have in order to explain these ideas. Let us now begin pursuing the understanding that will sufficiently answer these Chazals. And you will see that in order to understand these Chazals, we must understand many mysteries of creation. We must have a much greater understanding of the internal mechanisms of creation. <clears throat> and that is what we are going to go into tonight. Now, let us begin from Bracious. In the beginning, what do we see? We see that there's a Nochosh, a snake. And this snake is trying to tempt man. That's the first scenario that we encounter. Okay, we have a Nochosh, and he's trying to tempt Chavo and Adam, Horishan, of course, Adam and Eve, in order to do a sin. Now, who was this snake? Well, this snake is really... This primordial snake, or the Nochesh HaKadmoni, as they call him, the first snake, <coughs> what he really was is the physical manifestation of the Sotan himself. The Nochesh himself represented the Yetzirah. In other words, the Yetzirah in the time of Adam Rishon, before the sin, before the fall of man, was external to man. It is not like we have it today where the Yetzirah is in the psyche of man. In those days, the Yetzirah was external to man. And he was Nislabesh. In other words, he manifested itself in this creature called a snake. Very important to know. Now, <clears throat> however, there was a difference the way man related to this snake, this Yetzahara, before the sin, and there's a difference the way he relates to the snake after the sin. Enormous difference. What is that difference? What is the distinction? <clears throat> All things derive their existence from God. The existential source of, of all beings comes only from the Rabbanu Shalom and not only that all things continuously derive their existence from God and from no one else beings don't even have to fulfill conditions to exist they exist to achieve certain specific tasks therefore we see that the existential source of all things is God himself from no one else and there are no conditions for a being to exist. 
It was created and sustained in order to do a task. It exists because each being is locked into the Rabbani Shlom. God, who is existence per se, feeds existence to all beings and therefore he gives it existence. In other words, all things have their existence, their sustained existence, and the power in order to accomplish their tasks from the Rabbani Shlom and from no other source. This connection that beings have to God is a result of the hashpor or shefa that God gives all entities. What is the idea of a hashpor or a shefa? A shefa simply means that God causes to be. He sends or he creates a causative force that actually creates an entity. That's a shefa, a hashpor. It's an influence, the divine influence. So when we say something exists because of the hashpor, or the shefa from God, we are really saying that a thing, a thing exists, the entity exists, because it receives an influence from God. So the word hashpor, shefa, means a divine influence, a divine cause that makes a thing be. Now, the nachash, the snake, or the Eitzahara, had its own connection to God. It exists because God created it to do the work of seduction of man. It has its own power, it has its own existence from the Rabbani Shlom. This is called Yunika. It's unique from God. All beings are unique from God. They derive their nourishment, their existence, their power from God Himself. That's called Yunika or nourishment. And the Sutton had his own Yunika from God. <clears throat> the Sutton is unique from God. He derives his nourishment, his existence from the Rabbani Shlom. <coughs> and this existence, this power that he has to seduce, to entice man, of course, the power he gets from the Rabbani Shlom, and only from the Rabbani Shlom. And he doesn't, there are no conditions under which he can derive this nourishment. He has it because he's got to do his task. This is the way the Nachash was, the Satan was before the fall of man. Now, <coughs> the Satan goes over to Chava and tries to give her an argument, to try to tempt her into sinning which means to eat from the tree of, knowledge, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. What was the test? <clears throat> the test concerned what's called the Yichud Mitzi'usoi test. What does that mean? <clears throat> the Nochish argument was as follows. The reason why the Rabbani Shalom told you not to eat from the tree is because, as Rashi says this, and Rashi brings down the Medish, the tree is really the source of all being. And God ate from that tree, and that is how God had the power to create the world. And obviously God is jealous of you. He doesn't want you to be a rival of his. Therefore he tells you not to eat in the tree. This is what the Nachash told Adam. <coughs> now, Adam Horishan realized what's called Yichud Shlitosai. He understood that God is the most powerful thing he ever saw. He was created in the sixth day of creation. And when he was created, creation was formed. Who made all this? He knew it was the Rabbani Shalom. Obviously, he who was capable of making such an incredible universe, and the universe Adam Rishon perceived was much more than we do, <coughs> this must mean that God is mind-boggling in his ability to create. The shlita, the mastery of God that God has, must be awesome if he can do this. Now, Adam knew this. What Adam did not know, and it was concealed from Adam, in order that he should be tested regarding this fact, is the fact that God is not only yichud shlitosoi, that God is the master of creation, the ultimate power. But God is Yichud Mitzi He is the source of being. That is very different than just being the power over everything. And Adam had to figure out 
to whatever intellectual processes he had available to him, that the Nochosh is wrong, that God created everything including the tree. It is not the tree that's Yichud Mitzvah, it is the Rebunishlam that is the Yichud Mitzvah. Therefore, Adam had what's called a Hester, there was a concealment of the Mitzvah of God, not the Shlita of the Rebunishlam. And here his test was in that Mitzvah. Would he understand that God is the true source of all being? Even more, that God is existence itself. Would he understand that? And of course, Adam did not understand that. He fell. <coughs> he saw God only as a Yichud Shlitasai, that God was, of course, supreme in his reign, in his mastery of creation. But not that God himself was the absolute being of all. He fell. He accepted the advice of the Nochosh. He bore his argument. He received the counsel of this snake, this Nochash HaKadmoini, or the Satan himself, the Eight Sahara. <clears throat> what were the consequences <clears throat> of his accepting that advice? It was awesome. As a result of that, the Bria changed. Creation changed in many ways. One of the ways it changed is that man would now relate differently to the Satan than he did before. First of all, the Satan now became internalized in the mind of man. In other words, we now carry around our own private Yetzirah. No more is the Yetzirah outside the body trying to offer us convincing logical arguments. The Yetzirah, of course, is in the mind of man, imbuing him with tremendous drives and giving him arguments internally, psychically, why he should do what he wants to do. Therefore, <coughs> well, that's one way the Bria changed. What the Rabbanu did is he did the following. He said, until now, your task was to reject the advice of the Nochosh, to see through the flimsy argument that he was offering you. In other words, to re your task was to remove the ignorance that you were in, <coughs> namely, that God is the Yichud Mitzi he is the source of all being, he is existence itself. You accepted that advice, therefore you, are, you accepted his advice, and not only that, you accepted his friendship <clears throat> as one who could give you that advice. Your task will now be two. <coughs> you must reject his advice, but more than that, <coughs> you must destroy the Satan. You accepted his advice and his friendship, you must now destroy the Satan and reject his advice twofold. Because you decided to receive his friendship and his advice, not only must you reject his advice, that's task number one, but task number two is you must destroy the Satan himself. How? How do you destroy the Satan? What the Rebbeinu did is an incredible event. He changed the nature of the Satan, and he connected it to man. What does that mean? What that means is that man now exists in an inverse relationship to the Nochosh. Before <clears throat> the Anuka, the Anika of the Satan, the Satan would derive his existence and his power to do his task, his yanika, his nourishment. He would be yonik from God directly. And he would be yonik from God no matter what happened. What the Rabbanisham did is he said, no more will you be yonik from me directly. He's talking to the Satan. Now you will be yonik from man and man will be yonik from me. In other words, man derives his power and his existence from God. The Satan or the Nochosh derives his power and his existence from man, not from God. Which is really an incredible idea. That means the Satan must beg man to exist. 
No more can he derive his unique from the Rabbani Islam. He's got to get it from we. And if we don't give it to him, you know what happens to him? He dies. Because that's what we must do. We must kill him. And we must reject his advice. Two ideas. Now, where do we see this in the Chumash? Sounds like a nice idea. But where do you see it in the Chumash? Okay. We are going to learn the Chumash differently than it's learned normally. Because the truth is that the same sukkim that reveal the simplified pshat reveal the true nature of what goes on, the hidden theme of creation. <coughs> the Rebbe Hashem says to the Satan, Oro ator mikol mikol Cursed are you from all the animals and the wild animals of the field. You will now crawl on your belly. What does that mean? What that means is that the Medrash says that before this, the Satan or the Nochosh, the snake, had feet. God said you will no more have feet. You will crawl on your belly. You know what that really means? What it means is until now you were independent. You could stand on your own two feet. You didn't have to ask somebody to move you. Your feet will be removed. Now you are dependent on your existence on somebody else. Who is that? Man. That's what it means. He removed the independence that the Sutton had, that the Nochosh, the snake had. No more would the snake be dependent for its existence and power on God. It would now remove its feet. It would now be dependent on the ground, meta- uh, metaphorically. It would be dependent on man. The Ofatrichal, you were going to eat dirt. What dirt is that? Sin, chet, is dirt. Now you're going to have to eat the chet of man. That is your unique. That's your sustenance. If you don't eat his dirt, you die. And what will result if you, uh, if you, if you eat his dirt? Obviously, the game now that exists between us and the Satan is no more he has a job to seduce us. He must seduce us or he dies. Survival is the name of the game. We are rivals. It is a battle to the death. Therefore, we will hate the Satan and he will hate us because we are both contending for one source of unique, one power source, one cable which is connected to man and the Satan at the same time. If we eat, he dies. And if he eats, we chas v'shalom die. That's the way it works. Therefore, the Ravonshim says, the eva ashes bein cho uveno isha. Therefore, I will place hatred between you and the snake. Now, what does that mean? If you think about it, why should the Satan hate us before we understood this relationship? But now you understand. He hates us because we have his nourishment. Of course he hates us. It follows logically. Because before this explanation, why should the snake hate us? We can hate him because he seduces us to do sin. But why should he hate us? Because now that he derives his nourishment from man, who gets it from God, of course he hates us. And of course, what the ultimate uh, conclusion will be, He will try to destroy you, bruise you, and you will try to destroy him. It is now what? It is a battle to the death. <coughs> survival is the issue between us and the Satan. He is no more merely a messenger to try to seduce us into doing a sin. He must seduce us. He must get us to sin. If not, he dies. He shrivels. He becomes impoverished and he dies. We and he are rivals for one source of Kedusha, one source of the Shefa that comes from God. This is the state that exists now. And it is now possible for us to destroy the Satan. Because if we do certain acts, then he does not get our nourishment, he dies. If we do other kinds of acts, 
then he derives nourishment from God via us. And of course he lives. And of course we begin to suffer. Now, you may ask a tremendous question. And you say, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. <clears throat> if the only way the Sutton can get his kitrug is if we speak Lush and Hara, and when the Sutton is Makatrig, why does the Sutton Makatrig now? Why does the Sutton prosecute us in court? Because that's his job? Because he wants to punish us? No. Because as a result of the Kitrig, if we are found guilty, he eats from our sin. In other words, the Kitrig is his unique God. The Sutton now prosecutes us not to do a job, but to live and survive. If he prosecutes us, if he's Makatrig us, he lives. He survives. If he doesn't Makatrig us, he dies. In other words, without Kitrug, there is no Yenika to the Sutton, which is an incredible idea. That if the Sutton cannot Makatrig, he cannot live. He can only live if he brings us to court, we are found guilty, and he now derives the nourishment, the Kedusha, that we would have gotten had we not sinned, he now takes it for himself. In other words, when he is Makatrig, he is not really interested in us being punished. What he wants is his nourishment. He wants to survive. That is the issue that now happens. So we can ask a tremendous question. The Sutton can appear before God and say, Wait a minute. <laughs> if the only way I can survive is by being Makatrig, and if man controls my Kitrig by speaking Lashon Hara, in other words, if man speaks Lashon Hara, then I can badmouth him. Mida Keneged Mida. So therefore I get my sustenance, my nourishment. If he doesn't speak Lashonara, I can't Makatrig. So the Sutton says I wind up dying. Why? It's not fair. If my survival is not dependent on man's sin, so then I don't care if I have to wait to prosecute until he speaks Lashonara. But if I survive on his Lashonara, it's not fair. Why do I have to wait for his Lashonara to prosecute? He's going to die in the meantime. That's a tremendous complaint to the Rabbanu Shlam. So the Rabbanu Shlam turns around to him and says, No, you are wrong. Who was the first one who spoke Lashon Hara in creation? You know who it was? The Sutton. Why? It's amazing that the first recorded conversation in history already had Lashon Hara in it. It couldn't even wait until later on. What did the Sutton say? The Sutton said that God himself is powerless. He derives his power from the tree. What is that? That's Moitzi Shemra. He is denigrating God by saying that God is not what you think he is. He is much more weaker than you think he is, but it's more than that. It's a lie. It's Moitzi Shemra. The Sutton is the first being that spoke Moitzi Shemra, the first being that spoke Lashon Hara. And the Rav said that you had no right to speak Lashon Hara. If you wanted to entice Adam, then do it in some other argument. Where did you get the right to badmouth me? Therefore, it is true that man can invoke Kitrig by speaking Lashon Hara. But since you spoke Lashonara to make man sin, and you spoke it un, uh, unjustly, you were not right in speaking, therefore, even though your survival is now dependent, your kitrig, or rather your survival is dependent on his sins, since you spoke Lashonara wrongly, mida connected mida on you, measure for measure. You spoke Lashonara in order to gain or rather to make man sin, and it was unjust, it was wrong of you to do that. Therefore, 
measure for measure, you will have to wait for his lush and horror in order for you to survive. Because since you spoke lush and horror, you must wait for his lush and horror in order to makateg, in order to survive. So therefore, <coughs> you have no argument. Now, even though uh, you will survive as a result of the sins of man, so therefore your kitrik actually gets you nourishment, you have no excuse. Since you spoke Lush and Hora against me unjustly, therefore the only way you can get yiniko, nourishment for man, the only way you can makatrig is by allowing, or rather waiting for man's Lush and Hora. That's the only way. And that is why a snake has no voice. A snake can utter no sound. It only hisses. It cannot utter any voice. Why? Because what that means is that the one who is represented by the snake also has no voice. He must wait for the voice of man. Before he can utter a sound in Besdin, Makatre, prosecute, he must wait for the voice of man, which is Lashanara. If man speaks Lashanara, then he can speak Lashanara on man. If man does not speak Lashanara, he cannot speak Lashanara on man, he cannot Makatre, and therefore he dies. And that is why the snake that physically re- represents the Satan has no voice also. The voice of the Satan is dependent on the voice of man. Okay, that's the, in terms of the complaint of the Satan. What do we see so far? We see what's, be- in other words, what's beginning to occur, appear, is that there's an inverse relationship between man and the Satan. That in order for Satan to survive, to be sustained, and to have power, <coughs> he must mechatrate to prosecute us. He must, and he can only do that of course, if man speaks Lashon Hara. Because the Kitra gives him access to the Bezdin, and it is the sins of man that feeds him. In other words, instead of the holiness that is supposed to come to man, the Hashpah that is supposed to come to man, instead the Satan takes it because as a result of our sins. What that means is the following, that only man and the Sitra Achra, only man and the Satan actually grow and diminish. If we do mitzvahs or commandments, we grow in Kedusha. If we don't, we diminish. If we sin, he grows. And if we do mitzvahs, he diminishes. The only two beings in creation that grow and diminish is man and the Satan. No other uh, spiritual entity grows or diminishes. There is no other change by any spiritual entity. Only the Satan and man. Man grows, he waxes and wanes. And the Satan waxes and wanes depending on man's growth or man's diminishment. <coughs> Not only that, we see that the Satan must wait for the acts of man. He cannot initiate his own yiniko. He must wait for man to act. So if he tries to get man to sin, if man sins, then he's makatrig. Or rather, if man speaks Lashon Hara, he's makatrig. Because we saw before that if man sins and does not speak Lashon Hara, the Satan cannot have access to the kitrug. He cannot even have access to the yiniko of the chet. He can only have access to the yiniko of the chet if man speaks Lashonara and he's Makatrig, only through Kitrig can the Sutton exist. Without Kitrig, the Sutton dies. Therefore, we see that the Sutton must wait for the acts of man, and it depends what man does. What do we begin to see? The following. <coughs> that mitzvahs, <coughs> or if a man does appropriate acts, which are called mitzvahs, commandments, then the following things happen. One, that the being of man is sustained. Man's being is sustained. He exists further. Okay. 
Not only that, but he has access to the Kedusha flow, which comes between man and God. What that is, the flow itself, is really what's called Yichud. When you are connected to God, and when God is mashpia you, when God causes you to be, not only do you continue existing, not only are you sustained, but you have access to the Yichud of God. You actually understand something about God. Because that's part of the Kedusha that flows to man. It's a package. Man exists. Man understands as a result of this flow that goes from God to man. This Shefa, this Hashpor. And the Hasaga, the comprehension that man gets, is what's called the Yichud of God. Because the essence of the knowledge that man has of God is Hasaga Yichudai, the comprehension of the oneness of God. So we see, therefore, <coughs> that if man does appropriate acts, if he does mitzvahs, then his existence is sustained. Not only that, but he gets a certain Hasaga of God, because that is embedded in the flow that goes between God and man. That is embedded in the Kedusha, Kedusha flow. In other words, he receives what's called an awe, a light, and a light is a metaphor for knowledge. He receives a certain understanding of God, which is the Yichud understanding of God. Not only that, man also becomes powerful. Man is able to have power to promote, promote that Yichud. Therefore, man, if he does mitzvahs, is sustained, and he also has access to two things. One, he has access to oiz, which is power, and he has access to tifereth, which is beauty. And beauty means the knowledge of God is beauty. Okay? So man has access to oiz, power, and tifereth, which is beauty. He has access to the kedusha, the, the comprehension of that kedusha, which he himself receives. That awe, that light, that understanding, which is the yichud. Now what happens if that happens? Well, what happens is that truth prospers. Spirituality pervades Oilam Haza, this world. Not only that, yeshivas are successful in raising money because yeshivas want to promote the knowledge of God. They are successful. Health predominates. People are healthy. There's no disease. Crops do not fail. There is no such thing as crime. There's incredible peace. There are no tyrants. Dictators fail to a sense of power. That's all what happens when Jews do mitzvahs, the appropriate acts. Therefore, the flow goes to them, the Kedusha flow. Therefore, they have the power to spread the Yichud of God itself. They comprehend the Yichud of God, because that's what the flow gives them. They comprehend that all, the Asagas Yichudoi, the comprehension of the oneness of God. In other words, they have access to the comprehension of Yichud, and they are able to promote it throughout creation. And what man begins to see is what's called Gili Chudoi, an enormous revelation of the presence of God. Now, if man keeps doing mitzvahs, then the Yichud, the flow that man gets to himself, is so enormous that the Shekhinah rests among man. And the Divine Presence is the greatest comprehension of oneness of God that a man can have in Ilam Hazreb. The Divine Presence actually manifests itself among men. Okay? Because, and again, that's the result of the power flow that man has. So therefore we see that man has the following if he does mitzvahs. He has, one, sustained existence. Two, he has access to the Kedusha flow. And it manifests itself in terms of power, oiz, 
and also or or tiferes, the knowledge of the yichud of God. Three, that of the power that flows to him, the kedusha, the holiness, the shefa, the ashpor that flows to him is so much that he actually is able to bring down the shechina milamaylilamato. And what happens is there's an enormous revelation of the presence of God throughout creation. And we see that throughout. No crimes, no dictators, no disease, no famine. It's really an incredible utopian state. What happens if man sins? What happens then? Well, if man does inappropriate acts, if he does chatoim sins, then what happens? Then the kedusha flow, the hashpor, that causative force, that holiness that would flow to man and sustain man, and give him access to the Yichud, access to the Shekhinah, is disturbed. It's shunted. The Satan gets that. Because he is unique, because of our inverse relationship. He is unique. He derives the, the nourishment from the ore that we should have gotten, from the Kedusha that we should get. What happens? So instead of a Tigberus Kedusha, a waxing or a growth of holiness, we begin to see a Tigberus Ra. The proliferation of evil, <clears throat> the exact opposite. What does that mean? It means the following. <clears throat> that the Sultan is unique. He derives the Kedusha, the Shefa that man gets. He gets, because that's the inverse relationship. Of a Teuchal, you will eat the dirt of man. And he eats it literally. So the following things happen. The first thing that happens is that the Sutton's existence is sustained. His existence is sustained by the sins of man. He's unique from that Kedusha. The second thing is that he has access to the Yichud of God. It's incredible when we begin seeing what happens. That he has access to the Oiz, the power in that Shefa, and he has access to the Or, the beauty of the Tiferes, the Hasoga of that Shefa, he actually has access to it, not us. What does he do with that? What's he going to do with the Yichud of God? Well, because he has power as a result of that Shefa, that Hashpor, he denies the entry of the Yichud into the Bria. He denies its entry because since it's flown to him, he can deny entry, he can stop it from coming into creation. So therefore we begin, begin to see an enormous Tegbara what do we begin to see? <clears throat> Sheker, falsehood predominates. Crime is rampant. Tyrants succeed. The world has dictators and tyrants and, you, and we can't seem to get rid of them. Evil is all over. Dictatorships <clears throat> are successful. There is enormous sufferings, diseases among men. Famine. <clears throat> There's an incredible amount of the concealment of the oneness of God. Because the entire purpose of the Satan is to fool you into thinking, or rather to deny the presence or the knowledge that God is one. And the way he does that is by giving success to tyrants, or giving success to people, that they should think that they exist independent of God, and that they should think that they are an independent cause. Besides God, they can also get things done. That's called Ribi Koychus Metzius the multiplicity or plurality of forces and beings. <clears throat> Therefore we see that when a Satan has access to the Yichud, he has mastered the Yichud, he conceals it. Therefore every individual, every institution 
that conceals the oneness of God, that promotes the arrogance of man, the evil of man, materialism, pleasure, and so on, and atheism, <clears throat> these have enormous proliferation. They have enormous success. Why? Because the Yichud is wrapped up in the Satan's hands. That's what it means. <clears throat> there is incredible Tigbura Surah. And if you think that's all that happens, then take step number three. Besides the fact that he sustained, besides the fact that he has access to the Yichud, therefore he can be master the Yichud, he can masalik the Shekhinah. He can remove the Shekhinah. Why? Because the Divine Presence <clears throat> is the greatest statement <coughs> of Yichud. If the Sultan has access to the amount of Kedusha coming down to the Jews that would have given them the Shekhinah, so he has the power to remove the Shekhinah, because he has the power. He can remove the Shekhinah, because whatever power they get, he has. It's one against the other, that inverse relationship. So when the Sultan grows, if the, what's happening to the Jews, if what they are receiving is the Kedusha on the level of the presence of the Shekhinah, and they sin, then he gets the level of the Shekhinah. And he's able to masalik the Yichud of the Rabbanishlam. He's able to remove the Shekhinah. That's why God must leave. Not because of Chatoim in itself. Because since the Satan is yearning from that Kedusha, he is able to remove the Shekhinah because if the Satan is able to hide the Shekhinah, because that's the power given to him, God must remove himself in order to allow a hester, a concealment of the oneness of God to occur. Because that is really what the sins of man have done. <clears throat> and that is what happens. Now, if you think this is all the Sutton gets, you are making a gross error. Not only is his existence sustained, not only does he have access to the Kedusha, the Hashpo that comes down to man, in other words, he has access to the Yichud, in other words, he can be mastered Yichud in the world by holding the Yichud back and eating off it. Spiritually, that is. It's not a physical act of eating, but it is a spiritual containment of that power that would have gone to the Jews. It, he contains it within himself and it actually gives him enormous power to be successful and to do whatever he wants. Not only does he have that, but he also Kemesalat HaShchina, which is the third thing I would mentioned. But there's something even more devastating that he can do. He can take the Yichud and allow it to come down to the earth. Interesting. So you think that's great. But of course you ask yourself, why would the Satan allow Yichud to come down? What he wants is to conceal the oneness of God, not to promote its presence. Aha. But when the Satan gets the Yichud, and if he wants to allow it to come down, what he does is he allows it to come down and he gives it to people who are evil in themselves, who have chosen freely to do evil. He gives them the access to the Yichud and they distort the Yichud. So therefore it comes out that these peoples or nations have partial truths and partial lies. And they now can turn around to the Jews and say, we have the truth and you have nothing. In other words, he uses the Yichud itself as a weapon against the Yichud of the Jews, which is incredible. In other words, he takes the Yichud, allows it entry into creation, into the world, he gives it to the Goyim, they take this oneness of God, or the truth, and they distort it. And then they turn around to the Jews and say, we have the truth and you don't, 
And if you don't come under our fold, we will persecute you. Therefore, <clears throat> that is the, the fourth thing that the Sutton can do. That if he wants, instead of being containing the Yehud, he can allow it entry into the world and distort it. <clears throat> and therefore, men use it against the Jews themselves. Because they have what's called a partial distortion of the truth, which in many ways is worse than a, a lie altogether. Now, <clears throat> you may ask yourself, where do you see this? Where is this present? Okay. When you understand this, you will now begin to understand an incredible aspect of creation. You, we will now understand that a great deal of the history of the world, a history of mankind, of the Jews, is uh, based on this fundamental principle that either we get the Kedusha or the Yichud or the Shechina, or he gets the Yichud or the Shechina, or rather that he can access the Yichud of the Shechina. And that determines a great deal of history. And I am now going to mention several events that clearly illustrate this principle. Let us take a look at history. And you will see this principle clearly illustrated in a way that you probably never thought. <clears throat> One of the most significant events that ever happened to the Jews, of course, was the Churban Bayesvishim, the destruction of the first temple. What happened at that time? <clears throat> well, the temple was destroyed. We lost, of course. We lost the Shekhinah. But there are many other things we lost. We lost prophecy. Nevoah, prophecy ceased from amongst Jews at that time also. And of course, we lost the Shekhinah and, and so on. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> there is an interesting posik in Echo. Malkovisoreho Bagoyim. <clears throat> it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Malkovisoreho Bagoyim. Her kings and her officers, Bagoyim, are amongst the nations, exiled amongst the, the Goyim, the non Jews. In Torah, there is no more Torah, because all the scholars are gone. And also her prophets, the prophets of Jerusalem, find no more visions from God. <clears throat> this is a Pasuk in Echo. And of course, it's talking about the Chorban Bayesvishim. That Pasuk illustrates what we're talking about here. What does that mean? Let's see. What, what did the Jews lose? Well, the Pasuk says, first of all, the kings and the officers, the Jews went into exile. That's the first thing that happened. The second thing is Torah was gone. Right? And the third thing is that prophecy was gone. Exile, no more Torah, and prophecy. This is what the Pasuk points out to him. <clears throat> but wait a minute. If that's what happens to the Jews, in other words, <clears throat> if the sins of the Jews and the Lashon Hara that they spoke was able to give the Sutton the ability to makatrig against them, right? And as a result of that, <clears throat> as a result of the sins of the Jews, he was unique from the Kedusha that they had, which is the holiness, the Shefa, which includes the presence of the Shekhinah, correct? then obviously he takes it, because that's what happens. When we lose it, he gets it. When we lose that Kedusha, that holiness, he is unique, he takes that holiness, and he derives his own existence. He sustains his being, and he grows from the Kedusha that we ourselves would have gotten, from the very same kind. Where do we see this? Okay, <clears throat> what did we lose? We went into exile. Correct? Or rather, 
we lost what's called oiz, power. The Jews lost the power, the autonomy that they had, their own republic, their own nation, so to speak. At around the same time as the Chub Maishwishin, in 525 BCE, the Roman Republic was founded. There you are. The switch. The Jews had the power, their own political autonomy. Before, that was part of the Kedusha or the Shefa that they were receiving. Instead, since the Sultan was unique because of the sins and the Lush and horror of the Jews, he was Makatlik and took that Kedusha to himself. <clears throat> Therefore, the Oiz went to the Sultan and Rome was founded at about the same time that we lost the Beis Amigdash. It's not a coincidence. Okay, so the Oiz was transferred. Th- that's what the Pasuk means, Malkavisa Reho Bagoyim. We lost the Oiz, our kings and officers are amongst the Goyim. We lost the Oiz, and now the Goyim have the Oiz. Rome is founded. That nation which would persecute Jews for thousands of years, because we are still under the Shebut of Rome, the exile of Rome, that grew just around the time as the Chorban, the destruction of the first temple. Okay, but that's the Oiz. What about the Tikkunas? What about the knowledge of the Yichud of God? What about the Hasoga, the Or, that understanding that Jews had? Well, Jews lost the Torah, right? They lost the Torah, which is the <clears throat> truth that is derived from cognition, from intellection. And who got it? The Sutton. When the Sutton got it, he took the Yichud that the Jews had, the truth, and he gave it to the Goyim. That is why you find that around the time of the Chorban Baisishim, what was founded? Greek philosophy. Greece was founded at the same time. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Parmenides, Pythagoras, all these people lived around the time of the Chorban Baisishim. Therefore you see that, that uh, uh, power was lost to the Jews and it went to the Goyim. Rome was founded. Torah was lost to the Jews, therefore the Sultan took it and he gave intellect and went to the West. That was the founding of Greece, Greek philosophy. Okay, so Torah to the Jews <clears throat> became Chochmochitzenis, philosophy, Greek philosophy went to the intellect, went to the West. And the, the next thing that we lost was, of course, prophecy. And prophecy, of course, is information or knowledge which is given to a prophet, to a prophet, not via his mind cognition, okay, but rather via through the intuitive senses. So therefore, we lose, we lost the intuitive ability to access knowledge, the yichud of God, and of course, the goyim got it, because again, the sultan had it. He was unique from our kind of Kedusha, which is Nevoah, and the Goyim got it. How? Because at the same time as the Chorban Baishwishim, Confucius lived, Confucianism, Buddhism was founded, and Laozi, Taoism was founded. In other words, it's an incredible thing. The whole basis of Western civilization and Eastern civilization, the Chokhmah that they have today, they got at the same time that we had the Chorban Baishwishim. Do you think that this is a coincidence? No. It is because of the principle that I am telling you that when we lose our Kiddush, our Shefa, which at the time of the Chorban Baishwishim consisted of Oiz, political autonomy, 
Torah and Nevoah, when we lost that, that kind of Hashpah which consi- con- con- consisted of a holiness which was so great that it gave us these things, when we lost it, he was yearning it. He got the Kedusha. Okay? And therefore, he was able to do not only Masalik the Shechina, remove the Shechina, because he had access to the Yichud of the Shechina, but he took it and distorted it and he sent it down to the earth. He gave, of course, the, um, the intellection, the cognition, the cognitive philosophies went to the West. Philosophy was founded, Western civilization, because that is really based on Greece. And intuition or meditation went to the East. And that, of course, is akin to our nevuah, the intuitive ability of man to access knowledge of God. It's incredible that the whole basis of civilization happened, the beginnings happened at the same time that Jews lost the Shekhinah and, and uh, the Torah and the Vuah. And the reason, of course, is because of what I'm saying. That is the inverse relationship that we have with the sun. That is one event that is understood as a result of the principle of the inverse relationship that we have with the Satan. It's an incredible idea. Let's take another event. <clears throat> another event is the following. Let's take the Chorban Ba'asheni, which is the next major, major cataclysm that happened to Jews. The next major tragedy. <clears throat> what happened there? We lost the Ba'asheni. In other words, we lost the Shechina. The Shechina, of course, departed from us. The second temple was destroyed. Now, again, we had a political autonomy, not political autonomy, but we had autonomy because we were an heir to throne. So therefore, we lost power and the power went to the Romans in the form that they were able to destroy the base of Middash. In other words, the Romans, through the fact that the Sultan can access the power of what we had through our Kedusha, the Romans got it, therefore they were able to destroy the, the base of Migdash. They were able to be master the Yichud of God. Because once the Shekhinah departed, of course, there was enormous amount of Hest in the Bria and evil and all sorts of things. <clears throat> Again, the inverse relationship. But that's the Oiz, that's the power, the success that we lost. The Romans got sufficient to destroy the base of Migdash. But what about the Chokhmah? What about the Teferas? What about the terror that we lost? In other words, what about the Yichud of the Shekhinah itself that we lost, that he was able to get? Well, he took that, he distorted it, and he gave it to the Goyim in the form of Christianity. Christianity is a true distortion of Judaism. Why? Take a look. What do Christians say? They say that it is not you who are Israel, we are Israel. They say that it is not you who have the Torah, we have the Torah, we have the New Testament. It is not you who have the Mashiach, we have the Mashiach. That's incredible. Christianity isn't a religion that has its own doctrine. Christianity is nothing more than an opposite of Judaism. Why? There is no religion that is like that. All religions have their own doctrines, their own ideas that are independent of Judaism. When you take a look at Christianity, Christianity is an opposite, it's a mirror image of Judaism reversed. How? Because that is exactly what the Kedusha looks like when a Sultan is Yenek. He takes the Shefa, the Kedusha that the Jews have, which of course is the Yichud of the Shekhinah, when we lose it, he gets it. And he takes that Yichud, distorts it, sends it down to the Goyim, 
and gives it to them. So they come up with a religion which is a complete distortion of Judaism. That's exactly what the religion is. And of course, what do Goyim do with that? They say, we have the truth, therefore you must come over to us. And we have been persecuted by Christianity, the anti-Judaism, for 2,000 years. In other words, the consequence of the fact that the Goyim, or rather the Sutton, has, been, has, has accessed the Yichud of the Shechin itself, has been Christianity and the persecutions for 2,000 years. Which is a really an incredible idea. Now, there is one more incident that I want to mention. There is one more incident that I want to mention. And that is, again, when the exile of the Jews really began. The exile of the Jews really began around 500 A.C.E. Because that's when the Jews began to be spread out all over the world. When they began to leave Bovel in Israel, and they began to be spread to all the communities. It started around 500 A.C.E. But again, if that means that we were going into worse exile, what that means is the Shefa that was coming to us would go to the Sutton, he would be yonik and grow, and he would give it to the Goyim. What access, in order he would be able to access even more the Yichud of the Shechina that we were losing. And of course, since he accessed it, he gave it to the Goyim to persecute us. What was that Yichud? That Yichud was an incredible distortion called Islam. Islam occurred at the same time that the Golis really began in earnest for the Jews. And again, because Islam really is much closer to the truth than paganism, because they believe essentially in one God. But the truth is that they say to us, Islam, that of course our religion is the real religion, and how many, how many hundreds of years have, has the Muslims persecuted the Jews because they feel they have the one religion. So it comes out that the world has gone away from paganism. And it has gone to Christianity, which at least means that they believe in, one, in a trinity, and not in the 1400 gods that Greece used to believe in and Rome. At least they believe in three, or they, they say it's one deity in a trinity, but it's, a, it's sort of like three gods. But three gods is better than 1400. So they have come closer to the truth, but they have persecuted immensely. Because the Satan has had access to the Yichud of the Shekhinah, distorted the Yichud and give it to them, given it to them in the form of three, and they have persecuted us as a result. Because they say that they have the truth. And the same thing, when we went to exile, Islam was founded, because again the Satan had access to the Yichud of the Shekhinah, he gave it to the Goyim, so therefore the Arabs went from a pagan nation to a nation that believes in one God, which is an enormous advancement on their part. Because the only thing that they really hold, which is a real distortion, is that Muhammad is a prophet. But the God, they believe God is one. But they use that to persecute us. And the reason why they have it, of course, is a Sutton gets the Shefa from the Jews, gives it to his Goyim, distorts the Yichud to be used against the Jews himself.